Turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Matthew chapter 6. Let's stand in the honor of reading God's Word, and then we're going to dive right back into this doxology here at the end uh, and go from there. Jesus, uh, teaching us how to pray here, tells us, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. You may be seated. Okay, so we're, we're looking at prayer. Prayer is, is asking God, asking God uh, specifically to, to do something. And here in the Lord's Prayer, we see Jesus tell us what to ask God for. And then at the end of this prayer, at the end of these askings, we see a doxology. We see these words of glory, these words of uh, praise. And we saw how, how those words are not just sort of uh, you know, a meaningless addendum to the Lord's Prayer, and not just some sort of uh, uh, tropish mantra that we're supposed to throw in at the end, you know, oh, for thine is kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Uh, it's certainly not something that we think will get him to do the prayers because we put them there uh, at the end. That God's kingdom, God's power, God's glory uh, are both our confidence uh, in our prayer, our confidence that God hears. And when the Bible says hears, it means not just that he's aware of, but that he answers uh, our prayers. And also, uh, it is the purpose for our prayer. So we uh, pray these things uh, that Jesus taught us, and we know that he can answer because he has the kingdom, the power, and the glory. But we, we pray these things uh, specifically because we long for his kingdom and his power and his glory to be displayed more and more throughout the world, for the world to see. Uh, and God answering these prayers is going to highlight even greater his kingdom, power, and glory. Uh, but, and so we moved through a kingdom, we looked at power, we looked at glory, we looked at all those things, but that's not where the prayer ends. It doesn't just say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. It says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we've got the kingdom, the power, and the glory, and God has the kingdom, the power, and the glory. He has those things forever, uh, and then the amen at the end. So I want to look at these uh, last two words uh, for different reasons. One, forever is, is going to be a very important modifier for understanding God's kingdom, power, and glory. He doesn't just have kingdom, power, and glory. He's got them forever. That's an important thing to understand. That Forever is obviously important, one, because Jesus put it there, but also because it's something we're going to see is important throughout Scripture. And two, with amen, we're going to look at amen, uh, because that's a, that's a word that we've been taught to add to our prayers, and I think a lot of times we don't really know why. We don't know what it means, uh, and we don't want to be quasi-Catholic. Uh, so we want to know why we're adding words to the end of our prayers, and we want to know what it's saying when we do. Uh, so let's, uh, let's start here and look at uh, this end of, of, of Matthew chapter 6, the end of verse 13. Now let's look at forever today. We're going to look at forever today, and we'll, we'll do amen next uh, week. So it says, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever forever. Now, if we're going to understand forever, the first thing I want you to understand is that you cannot understand forever. 
okay, uh, that we are talking about a subject that you are not going to be able to grasp. And if you think you grasp it, you do not. Uh, so when we talk about, forever, I, I, want, I want us to recognize, we can't understand forever fully. I mean, have you, have you ever thought about forever? Have you ever, you know, uh, tried to imagine how God could exist forever? How is that possible? Tried to think about even for ourselves. So not even talking about, even trying to think about ourselves. What will it mean for me to live forever? I mean, just trying to wrap our mind around that idea uh, is, is something that is, is it's typically very, very difficult. So we're going to look today with forever, we're going to look at a concept by, that by its very nature you will not be able to grasp. Uh, we know, we, we, and we cannot grasp it because we are finite. And everything we know is finite. Everything we know has both a beginning and an end. Uh, and so for us to grasp anything as forever is, is really, be honest, we, we know nothing that lasts forever. Yet when it comes to forever with God, not only is God forever going forwards, which we can't grasp, God is forever going backwards. So God is both forever future and forever past. As the Bible is going to say, God is from everlasting to everlasting. And we do that and our mind just sort of melts at the idea. You know, if we, just if we said, think of God existing forever going forward, it's like, no way. Now imagine him existing forever going backwards as well. Uh, so this is a subject we're not going to be able to address. I'm going to, we're going to talk today about something you will not get. But does that mean we shouldn't talk about this subject? I mean, why talk about something that we have just said we cannot grasp? Well, because the Bible tells us to. The Bible says that God is the one who actually puts these thoughts in our head. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says this. God has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so, that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Uh, do you ever wonder why all of our kids will ask uh, just that ubiquitous question, oh, you know, mom, dad, we're talking about God. Well, where did God come from? You know, I don't know that we've had a child that hasn't said, okay, okay, this God talks great, but where did he come from? You ever wonder why every one of us tries to think about forever? Why we want to think about it? And, and, and our brain just sort of, again, just melts at the prospect. And yet that doesn't stop us from thinking about it. We still are trying to grasp it. We think about eternity. Man, every human being in existence, from Adam through all of his progeny, has thought about the question of eternity. And they think about it. We think about eternity because God put eternity into our hearts, yet he did so in such a way as to highlight our inability to grasp it. So it's good to think about eternity, and it's good to think about eternity and God and how those go together, even if we can't really understand what we're thinking about, even if we can't fully grasp it. The reason we want to look into eternity and the reason we can't grasp it are both because of God. We think about eternity because of God, and we can't grasp it because of Him. So today we'll be taking a look into the unknowable. We'll uh, take a walk uh, down something that God has put into the heart of us all, and we'll do that with the understanding that at the end of today, we will not grasp 
forever, uh, and that's kind of the point. Uh, Because God has the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, so let's talk about what that means. If God has the kingdom, power, and the glory forever, that gives stability to our prayers. It gives stability to our prayers. We talked about uh, God's authority. We talked about uh, God's ability. We talked about God's grandeur, His splendor, you know, in terms of kingdom, power, and glory. Well, here, the idea that He has those things forever gives stability to our prayers. Forever, like I said, is a common theme in the Bible, especially around the idea of God's kingdom, power, and glory. That a lot of times when the Bible talks about God's kingdom, power, and glory, it's going to make a point of saying that those things are true and they are true forever. So let me just give you just a machine gun of scriptures here that, that you're going to hear uh, the, this, the idea of forever tied to God's kingdom, power, and glory. We, we've already seen that God's kingdom, power, and glory is a common doxology. And forever is often attached to those. So, for example, all the way back in Exodus, Exodus 15, 18, the Lord will reign forever and forever. Psalm, not, of course, Psalms is, is full. I did Exodus 15 because it's like one of the first ones. But, but uh, Psalm 9, Psalm 9, 7, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. Psalm 10, 16, the Lord is king forever and forever. The nations perish from his land. Psalm 86, 12. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. Psalm 104, 31. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Psalm 135, 13. Your name, O Lord, holify your name. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown. O Lord, your glory, your fame throughout all ages. So we know that God's kingdom, God's power and God's glory are are forever. But when we say those things that his kingdom, his power and his glory are forever, is to say that those things will never end. There will never be a time that God does not have the kingdom, the power and the glory, which is why sometimes that that same word forever in your Bible will be uh, translated as everlasting. It, it, It is that same word. Uh, but normally when it's attached to a thing, like, for example, Genesis 9.16, where God calls it uh, with the, uh, the uh, creational covenant there, uh, when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that's on the earth. So the idea is that these things are true and they last forever. His kingdom lasts forever. It is eternal. But forever is not just important because it's an aspect describing God's kingdom and God's power and God's glory. It's not just important for us to try and grasp forever because those are, are part of, 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 what God, of how God reigns or in what he's doing. Forever is not just something that describes God's attributes. He, he has power forever. He has glory forever. Forever is actually an attribute of God himself. So, for example, in Genesis 21, 33... One of the very first things we learn about God and how he describes himself. Uh, Genesis 21, 33, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Uh, the word there is the same word as forever that we uh, have been looking at. You could translate it uh, uh, there the, on the name of the Lord, the forever God. Same word. 
And that title, God is everlasting God. God is forever God. He is forever God. Who he is ontologically in his being is something that is true forever. God is always God forever. His kingdom isn't just forever. His reign isn't just forever. His power, his glory, those just aren't forever. God himself is from everlasting to everlasting. God is the forever God. So uh, this title again, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, compared to the idols that are never, uh, God is forever. So Isaiah 40, 28, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord, Yahweh, is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. I love what it says in Psalm 90. Psalm 90 Verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world. So, before Genesis 1-1, what was going on? He says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. But not only is God God from everlasting to everlasting, His character is an everlasting character. He will be a good God from everlasting to everlasting. It's not just His kingdom lasts forever. It's not just His reign, His power, His glory that lasts forever. It's not just Him that lasts forever. It is the goodness of God. God will be forever God and He will be forever a good God. Psalm 103, 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to the children's children. So in the Old Testament, it's very clear one of the central themes about who God is from the very beginning is that God is forever. His kingdom is forever. His power is forever. His glory is forever. His goodness is forever. Forever, He is God. From forever past to forever future. From everlasting to everlasting. From forever to forever, He is ever God. But that's just the Old Testament, right? That's just the Old Covenant. What about the New Testament? Sort of, just sort of drop off, right? Does, now that God is one of us, right? Uh, does it sort of tone down the forever aspect of God to make Him more relatable uh, to us as people? No, it does not. It's not surprising that the idea of God being forever didn't end with the birth of Christ. Uh, so what do we have here when we get to the forever in the Lord's Prayer? The word here forever... Uh, forever in the Lord's Prayer is actually a combination of three Greek words. Three words in the Greek. Aistus eonas. Uh, into the ages. Into the eons. Uh, in fact, if you ever see the word forever or even eternal in your Bibles, in the New Testament, it's going to almost certainly be this phrase. And by certainly, I mean, there's one example of it not being. Uh, it's almost certainly going to be this phrase or a form of this phrase. Into the ages, into the eons. That's where the word uh, we get from the, the word eon comes from. Like ionos. Uh, into the ages, into the eons, into the, into the forever. So what does that mean? What does it mean that if, if we're reading this to say, uh, for your kingdom, uh, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory into the ages. 
What does that mean? What, do we, what is he trying to uh, get across? What does it mean into the ages? It sounds like a, maybe a, a good slogan for like the Space Force, right? Into the ages or maybe like a really progressive kindergarten. Into the ages. Uh, what does it mean when the Bible says into the age? Now, without getting too deep into the weeds, which you know I like to get into the weeds. So if you ever want to get into the weeds, we'll get into the weeds. Uh, without getting too deep into the weeds here, the world is broken up into ages, uh, and, and an age is defined in the Bible as both a temporal thing, but also a spiritual reality going on in that temporal time. So it has a, it has a time stamp, but it's not just about time. It's not just about like uh, A.D. and B.C., like, you know, before Christ and, and after Christ. Uh, it, it's, it's a time, but also something wrapped uh, in the spiritual reality of that time. So the Bible will often break things up into uh, like two ages, like this age and the age to come. Now, that makes Christ's prayer really funny timing, really funny divine timing here, because his, carnation, his incarnation is actually the movement from this age into the age to come. So when he teaches them to pray, remember that his kingdom and his glory, and his, or his kingdom, his power, and his glory are into the ages. It's interesting because when he pray, it tells them to pray that they may not realize that they actually are moving into the ages. Uh, I mean, currently we, we live in, in a melding of the two where this age is fallen away and the age to come is advancing until it's consummated at the return of Christ when he puts all his enemies under his feet, an event that I think will happen uh, you know, either in 4004 AD or 40,000 AD. I haven't, don't quite have the, the, the time down uh, yet precisely. I don't have it nailed down quite yet, but somewhere in there. Uh, but whatever age we're in or whatever age is broken, it doesn't in the end really matter. By saying these statements are true forever, by saying these statements are true into the ages means there is not an age. There will never be a time where this statement is not true. It matters not the age. You can't can't say, oh, but in our age, he doesn't have the kingdom. Or the age we're in now, he doesn't have the power. One day, there will be an age where he has the glory and the power and the kingdom. But this is not that age. He says, he has these things into the ages. No matter what age we move into, no matter what age is going on in this world, for any believer, no matter how things change, these statements will always change be true. It really doesn't matter how you define the ages. You can disagree on when the ages are, how they break up, or how the melding takes place from this age to the age of come, but, but it doesn't really matter because he has these things into all the ages. Not into just a certain age, not, not a one day, but all the ages. Are you in an age? Yes. Then in that age, he has the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Because he has it into all the ages. There will never be a time where God does not have the kingdom, where God does not have the power, and where God does not have the glory. All of these attributes are true forever. They are true today. And they will be true tomorrow, no matter what your tomorrow holds. They've always been true, and they always will be true. God has always had the kingdom. God has always had the power. He's always been the sole glory due to the eternal one, the forever God. And he will always have those same things. So when the Bible comes to us and Jesus comes to us, he says, hey, I want you to talk, you know, when you get done and you say these things and say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 
He's reminding us that these things are true forever, just as God is true forever. These things will always be true. He has the kingdom forever. He has the power forever. He has the glory forever. Into every age, into every time, from everlasting to everlasting, there's not a time where God does not have the kingdom, the power, and the glory. So what do we do with that? What is the usefulness of that? Why does Jesus put that there? Why not just say, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory? And uh, we just know from uh, past scripture that why add this to prayer? Why is it so important to have kingdom, power, and glory forever uh, as a doxology here in teaching us how to pray? What's the usefulness of it specifically with prayer? The first thing I want us to do, uh, 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 the first usefulness of forever goes back to what we saw in Ecclesiastes, which is this, and a good encouragement to us. I want you to think big thoughts about God. It is a good thing to think big thoughts about, even thoughts you can't grasp. Even to recognize, I'm going to think about an attribute of God that I know I will know. We like to think that we understand things. What we like to think is that any truth about God is not already a big truth, right? We like to think we've got it down. We like to think, oh, that aspect of theology... I'm pretty good on that. I know like 16 verses. Uh, we like to think that we've grasped anything about God. But let me encourage you. Dive deep into the unsearchable things about God. About who He is. About, about His unlimited powers. Think about those things. Even knowing that you will not be able to fully grasp it. I mean, I can only know what He reveals about Himself. And even... What he reveals about himself is still beyond my uh, ability to comprehend. So we only know God is forever because he tells us he's forever. And then he says, and even though I revealed to you that I'm forever, I also have revealed it in such a way that you can't grasp it. So I only know these things about God because he reveals them. And even what he reveals is beyond my ability to fully comprehend. That's the attitude we must have with prayer. That's the attitude we must have uh, with worship. Instead of, in our, in our world, there is this attempt to de-loftify God. There is attempt to, an attempt to bring Him down to us. That He is, he is you know, j- just like us. Sort of to demystify Him. To de-theologize Him. I, I, instead, of, instead of making God just like us, instead of making God relatable, what we need to do is more go the other way. We need to recognize more of the other direction. We need to make God incomprehensible. We need to make God unfathomable. We need to make Him God. Just that sheer idea of Him being God is something we can't even fully understand. And we need more of that in a world that is trying to downplay God's glory and downplay His difference from us. To downplay His holiness in that way. So as I said, de-loftify God. Now is the time for us to lift him up. For us to recognize that he is unsearchable. He is unfathomable. And yet we come to worship a God that we cannot fully know because he is creator and we are mere creature. Even his most basic attributes we can't grasp and that's Why we worship. That's why we say he's great. That's why our worship of him is different from our worship of our favorite football team or our favorite baseball player. We can grasp that. We can imagine, you know, if my baseball coach had just stuck with me a little while longer, uh, you know, we can imagine those things for someone like us. But the idea that God is so beyond us that he is unsearchable, then when we 
when we come in here and we realize we're going to sing praises to God with all of our hearts and even when we praise with all of our hearts, our praise doesn't even grasp the magnitude of the one we're praising. And that's okay. That's, that's actually kind of the point. That he is greater than, I could, I could praise him with everything that I have and because I am a creature finite in my being, I will never be able to grasp and I will never be able to vocalize all of his glory. And if you get here and you don't have that sense of the holiness, the otherness of God, because you have just turned him into just a better version of you, then we lose, we lose that worship aspect. We lose some of God's worth. Some of God's worth that leads to his worth-ship is recognizing his worth is so much greater than mine, and that's why I'm here. That's part of why I'm here. Uh, because his worthiness, uh, he is worthy to be praised. So there needs to be more humility, more humility in our theology, more humility in our worship, more, see, if God is lifted up, if he becomes weightier, then the idea just in our brains of trying to grasp him becomes heavier. And by the sheer fact of that, we will bow down. We will humble ourselves. There needs to be more humility in our theology, more humility in our worship, and more humility in this, in our prayer. We need to approach the throne with a sense of trembling. A a trembling that comes with the incomprehensibility that I am approaching a God that I cannot even fully understand. I can't understand who he is. I can't understand what he has always been. And yet I am going to him and asking him to do something. I am asking a request of that God. Now we can boldly approach his throne because of Christ. We know we can go in there because of the blood of Christ. But we go in to meet a God and to ask a God, to pray to a God that is so beyond us, we will never fully grasp who he is. And he is that forever. Forever he is God. So this is good to think big thoughts about God uh, in our prayers, to think of forever and things like that because we want God to be incomprehensible. We want God to be unknowable. If you think you grasp God, you're not, you're not, you're not digging deep enough. You're not thinking deep enough. You're not, you're not probably reading enough uh, because God says, you know, who I am, we can't, we can't even uh, grasp. So I uh, think big thoughts about God. Also with that, uh, in prayer forever is an important word, especially in prayer. It's an important part of doxology and it's an important part, uh, important part of prayer. Uh, we serve and we pray to the forever God. And that's important in prayer because of this. There is not a prayer that you're going to lift up that will come to God when he is not God. You are never going to ask God something and find out that when you ask him something, whoops, that was the time he wasn't God. You missed your window. There's a comfort in that. There's a comfort in prayer in knowing that God is God forever. Forever reminds us we never have to fear when we pray. We never have to worry about the timing. We don't have to look about the situation around us. We don't have to look at the world and think, okay, now I think God's really got a lot of power. Ooh, ooh, now I think he's in his kingdom. Ooh, now I think he's, now I think he's on the throne because of what's going on. No, God is forever those things. And so forever is important to prayer because it reminds you you're never going to lift a prayer to God where he is not God and where he does not reign. 
forever gives firmness to our faith. If these things that are my purpose are always true, then there's never a time that I should quit praying for these things. Never a time that I no longer need to pray for God to holify his name. Never a time I don't need to pray for forgiveness. Never a time I don't need to ask God to deliver me from evil. If these things that are my confidence are always true, and then I can always trust in God's authority and ability to answer my prayers. God will never cease to be bigger than your problem. Because he will always have the kingdom. He will always have the power. He will always have the glory. His splendor will always be greater than your problem's gloom. Always brighter. Always more. So knowing forever when you pray is going to be important because it reminds you that you're praying to God who is forever God. Uh, You must remember forever as well. You must remember forever. You must remember into the ages if you are going to have this confidence and purpose of your prayers no matter your situation. If you want to make sure that the situation doesn't change your prayer life, if you want to make sure that what you're going through doesn't change your confidence, then remember forever. We don't need to fear that one day we might wake up and the kingdom belong to someone else. There will never be an age when God does not have the kingdom. There never has been and there never will be. We don't have to worry that one day, be it tomorrow or in, you know, 999 generations, that someone else is going to have the power. We don't have to fear that. We don't need to be anxious about whether or not God will have the glory as if one day someone else might wrest his glory from him. It's never going to happen. And so when we pray, we remember the things that are always true of God. We remember the kingdom, the power, and the glory, and we remember that those things are always true. But what about my situation? He still has the kingdom. He has the kingdom forever. But what about this going on in the world? Maybe it's not. Maybe you're looking at the world. He still has the power. How do I know that? Because he has the power forever. Into the ages. Is this an age? Yes, and he has the power in it. What about the glory? What about this person doing this or or that country or even the devil himself? God still has the glory. Remembering forevers in your prayers. Remembering eternity. Remember that these things are true from everlasting to everlasting. That these things are true into the ages. In your prayers, in in this, in your doxologies, it's important because forever prayer makes for effective prayer. Because a forever prayer is filled with faith. If you forget about forever, then your faith might be shaken. If you remember that God is God forever, and all that He is, He is forever, and all that He has, He has forever, that bolsters your faith. If you begin to wonder if God's listening, if you begin to wonder if He's good, if you begin to wonder if He's in power, if someone else has maybe taken it, maybe there is a battle in the heavenlies that you don't know about, and maybe He's losing, and maybe the devil's winning, and it's... Your, your faith is going to falter. And you're going to even wonder, not if you should pray, but why you pray. But if you remember that God is these things and is these things always, from everlasting to everlasting, then your prayers will be filled with faith. So when you pray, don't forget to remember the unfathomable. Don't forget to remember the incomprehensible nature of the one you pray to. Don't forget to use words that you can't even really grasp. I'm going to say forever, God, and I don't even understand what forever is, but I know it's good that you got it. Things that you may not understand, but that you trust are true 
by faith. Don't forget to go to the one who is greater than you can even comprehend. Don't forget to go to him and ask away. That's what he wants you to do. He put forever in your hearts. He put it in a way you can't grasp. And then he tells you, when you pray, remember that these things are true forever. Now ask away. Let's pray. As we, as we take a moment, I want you to think about forever. And as you try to think about forever past, like something existing forever before anything existed, before the earth was made or anything in it, before anything was ever created, God existed from forever before that. And I want you to think that he's going to exist in that same way, not just now for a long time, but forever going forward. He will be God. I want you to try and grasp that. And I want you to see that how much you can't. I want you, I want you to get in, in the deep end of the pool and, see, and to see how deep it goes. Because the deeper that is, the more unsearchable your God is. The greater your God is. The incomprehensible nature of God. If God can be grasped by your, you know, your human mind, you who couldn't even grasp fractions, if you can grasp this, you think, oh, I can understand God. Dig deep into these things. Because all that's going to do is raise him up. If you're like, but I don't understand, it makes me go back. No, it's good that you don't understand. He wants you to recognize you don't understand. Because he wants you to see how great he is. He wants you to see how amazing he is, how powerful he is. Don't be afraid of thinking deep thoughts about God. Don't be afraid of seeing your own weakness and your own, just how your mind can't grasp it. I don't care how smart you think you are, how smart you are in subjects, how much you think you know the Lord and theology and whatever, like recognize the incomprehensible nature of God right now. Think about forever. And now I want you to think about that thing that you can't grasp. Think how great it is that God is in control forever. That He is your God forever. That the the God you trust in today will be the same God tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And and He has always been that. He's never going to change. His power is never going to wane. It's never going to go away. His kingdom, His power, His glory, they're all forever too. His goodness is forever. Longer than you can even grasp. Certainly longer than you'll exist. So ask God with confidence. Think of these things so that you can have confidence when you pray. Ask Him now. Say, God, give me the confidence that comes in knowing you are forever. And give me the faith that comes in knowing your kingdom is forever and your power is forever and your glory is forever. Let us make God big. Because a big God will result in some very humble prayers. Humble and yet filled with faith. And that's what we need. That's what the Bible calls it. That's the effective prayer that availeth much. Father, 
we imagine ourselves now coming before you in front of, I mean, to, to take the image, Father, from the tabernacle, that we are at your feet. And even the idea of being at your feet is, is more than we should probably be comfortable with. But we're uncomfortable because we know you are real. And we know as, as great as we think you are, so, so great, Father, that we would, we would say that we are a, a church that magnifies your holiness, Father, that, that, that doesn't demystify you or, or, or de-loftify you, Father. We don't, we don't want to do that. At the same time, we're, we recognize that even we cannot grasp how great you are, Father. And so to, for us to be right now together in front of you asking something, it has to come by, I would, ne- I would never be here without the blood of Christ. There's no, no way I could get in, no way I would come in, Father. So I am in, in faith, in, in faith in what Christ has done. That's the only way I can approach your throne. I am not worthy to be, I am not worthy to talk to you. I'm certainly not worthy to ask you to do anything. None of us are, none of your people here, none of us are. We come here in the name and, and covered in the blood of your son. It's in that confidence and that confidence alone. And, and I want that humility to be clear, Father, as we pray. And so, Father, Heavenly Father, we ask you to teach us these things about you, God. And to teach us how you are God forever. And to teach us how your kingdom and your power and your glory are forever to let us have that faith, Father, which will help give us confidence in our prayers, God, and will also remind us of our our forever purpose to our prayers. May we ever, forever be worried about your kingdom, your power, and your glory, and not ourselves. Father, we ask you, teach us these things, God. Teach all of us these things, every one of us here before you today. We sit in front of your throne with heads bowed and hearts heavy of this reality. And I pray, God, we are not comfortable. That we are humbled. And we ask you as our Father to do this. Please, Lord, teach us these things. You put them in our hearts. So, Father, teach us what it means that you are forever. And these things are forever, Father, please. Make us think great thoughts of you. And may our prayers be filled with great faith because of that. It's in Christ's name we are able to pray. Amen.